Taiwan, calling Chinese military drill footage into doubt. Questions rise over where the video came from and exactly how close Beijing's troops got to a group of disputed islands. A delayed weapons test successfully launched. On the roster, the U.S. Minuteman III ballistic missile and tensions in the Taiwan Strait. Unusual drought hits China's Yangtze River, triggering power shortages and hitting Apple suppliers. It's the country's worst heat wave in six decades. Nearly 150,000 tourists trapped on vacation. De facto lockdown orders hit South China. Protests erupt. And 400 million Chinese people quit the Chinese Communist Party. We answer your questions about how they did it. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Taiwan is taking issue with military drill footage published by Beijing. China says the exercises were carried out near a major Taiwanese airbase. Let's zoom in. Taiwan accused China of exaggerating their claims about military drills on Tuesday, after the Chinese military published footage of drills near the Penghu Islands. The islands are strategically located and home to a major Taiwanese airbase. They're only about 30 miles to the west of Taiwan. But Taiwanese authorities said it wasn't true that Chinese forces had got that close. Beijing carried out military exercises around the island this month after visits by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and a U.S. delegation led by Senator Ed Markey. He and five other lawmakers toured Taiwan on Sunday and Monday. China responded to Pelosi's visit with test launches of ballistic missiles over Taipei for the first time. Beijing considers Taiwan part of mainland Chinese territory and has threatened to take it over by force. That's despite the Communist Party never having ruled Taiwan. The Chinese military released its alleged Penghu Islands video on Monday, apparently taken by the Chinese Air Force. But Taiwan's Air Force Vice Chief of Staff for Operations, Tung Pei Lun, called it Chinese information warfare, adding he had no comment on who had taken the video. Tung also said Taiwan had a real-time grasp of what was going on in the skies, and that Chinese aircraft had been closer to the north and southwest of Taiwan. Meanwhile, on Tuesday, China imposed sanctions on seven Taiwanese officials it accused of being independence diehards, drawing condemnation from the island. One of them is Taiwan's de facto ambassador to the U.S., Xiaobi Kim. The other six are Taiwan-based politicians. In related news, the U.S. successfully tested a Minuteman III intercontinental ballistic missile. That's according to a statement from the U.S. military Tuesday. It also added that the test had been delayed to avoid escalating tensions with Beijing over Taiwan. China sent warcrafts and missiles into the Taiwan Strait after the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited the island, which Beijing claims as its own territory. The U.S. military says the test showed its readiness of nuclear deterrent, specifying the test was not triggered by any specific global event. The nuclear-capable Minuteman III is key to the U.S. military's strategic arsenal. The missile has a range of over 6,000 miles. That means if launched from Alaska, it could reach almost all major cities in East Asia, including those in China.
Plus, it can travel at approximately 15,000 miles per hour. That's about 20 times the speed of sound. The same day the U.S. military confirmed the test, defense ministers from the U.S. and Japan spoke on the phone. The two parties strongly condemned China's ballistic missile launch nearby Taiwan and confirmed close U.S.-Japan cooperation. Rare action from Germany. The nation's government announced a move that would go towards countering the Chinese Communist Party. The German Defense Ministry is planning a joint air exercise this week in the Indo-Pacific region. It's called Rapid Pacific 2022. The operation will be joined by Australia, Japan, South Korea and Singapore. It's the first time since World War II that German warplanes are heading to the region. The German Air Force will send three multi-role tanker transports, four Airbus tactical transporters, and about 250 Air Force personnel. The country's Air Force has two exercises in Australia planned first. It'll then travel to three other countries and is scheduled to arrive in Japan at the end of September. The exercise comes amid growing military threats from Beijing in the area surrounding Taiwan. Tensions between China and Taiwan are still going strong, but another source of conflict is also cropping up in the region. Members of Japan's governmental cabinet visited a shrine that honors fallen soldiers. But the trip angered China and South Korea, two of the nations Japan invaded during World War II. The news comes as Japan's prime minister vows that his country will never again wage war. Here's a closer look. Japan's Prime Minister Fumio Kishida vowed that his country would never again wage war on the anniversary of the country's World War II surrender. That as members of his cabinet visited a shrine that honors war dead, angering South Korea and China. Kishida's pledge was delivered at a national memorial service on Monday, attended by the emperor and 592 family members of victims of the conflict. We will never again repeat the horrors of war. I will continue to live up to this determined oath. In a world where conflicts are still unabated, Japan, under the banner of proactive pacifism, will do its utmost to work together with the international community to resolve the various challenges facing the world. The anniversary of Japan's surrender is traditionally also marked by visits to Tokyo's Yasukuni Shrine. It is seen by South Korea and China as a symbol of Japan's past militarism. Visits by Japanese leaders infuriate neighbors that suffered at the hands of Japan before and during World War II. Among others, Yasukuni honors 14 Japanese wartime leaders convicted as war criminals. Kishida faced a tricky balancing act, hoping to avoid irking neighbors while keeping happy the more right-wing members of his conservative Liberal Democrat Party. According to Japanese news agency Kyodo, Kishida sent an offering to the shrine without visiting, as he did during recent festivals at the shrine. But unlike his predecessor, Yoshihide Suga, an abbe in 2020, Kishida made an oblique reference to Japan's wartime actions, saying the lessons of history are graven deeply on our hearts. 
Despite that, South Korea and China denounced the visits to the shrine. A spokesperson for South Korea's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said the Korean government is urging Japan's responsible people to face history and show humble reflection and genuine reflection on the past through action. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin said the minister's visit to the shrine reflects Japan's wrong attitude towards historical issues. Japan's ties with China were already strained after China conducted unprecedented military exercises around Taiwan, following the visit there by U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Nancy Pelosi this month. During the drills, several missiles fell in waters inside Japan's exclusive economic zone. Yasukuni Shrine commemorates some 2.5 million war deaths, all from a number of wars since the 19th century. It includes those from World War II. The decades-long dispute between China and Japan is often attributed to conflicts left over from the Sino-Japanese War. But the issues go beyond that. They have to do with territorial issues over a group of small islands in the East China Sea. As tensions rise around Taiwan, neighboring Japan is looking to boost its own security. To do it, the country's ruling party aims to double defense spending to 2% of its GDP over the coming years. That would total over 70 billion U.S. dollars. The plan marks an unprecedented move since the end of World War II. China is sanctioning another Western politician for visiting Taiwan after U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. China's foreign ministry said on Friday it had imposed sanctions on Lithuanian Deputy Minister for Transport and Communications. And Beijing would also suspend engagement cooperation on transportation with the Baltic country. Lithuania's deputy minister paid a five-day visit to Taiwan last week, closely following Nancy Pelosi's trip. In response to Pelosi's visit, China launched large-scale military drills around Taiwan, slapped sanctions on Pelosi, and put trade restrictions on its dealings with Taiwan. But that didn't deter the Lithuanian politician from sharing on Twitter that she had visited three cities and two seaports on the island and had 14 meetings there. She called the trip a productive week, and she was looking for more ways to cooperate with Taiwan. Lithuania has been bolstering its relations with Taiwan since last year. That's after it decided to allow Taiwan to open a de facto embassy in its capital, Vilnius. The move held special significance as the office was opened under Taiwan's name. That's in contrast to de facto Taiwanese embassies in other countries, which carry the name of Taiwan's capital, Taipei. They're also not referred to as embassies and are instead called Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Offices. Those measures aim to pacify Beijing, which considers Taiwan part of China, and is staunchly opposed to anything that recognizes Taiwan as independent. That said, Lithuania's decision infuriated Beijing and led a major drop in Lithuania exports to China during the first three months of this year to almost zero. But exports to other countries have increased. The country's foreign minister wrote last week that pressure from China inspired Lithuania to diversify. In the last six months, the country has increased its Indo-Pacific exports by 60 percent and overall exports by 27 percent. More European countries are distancing themselves from the Chinese communist regime. Latvia and Estonia have announced their withdrawal from the cooperative group between Beijing and East Europe. The decision follows Lithuania's departure last year.
According to Latvia's foreign ministry, remaining in the China group no longer serves the country's strategic goals in the current international climate. Both Latvia and Estonia have stated that their future relations with China will parallel respect for human rights and a rules-based international order. Cooperation with China remains for the 14 countries still in the group, including Greece, Hungary and Poland. Factory shutdowns, power shortages, record low water levels. The heat wave scorching China is now having a ripple effect. We look at how some Apple and Toyota suppliers are getting hit. Apple suppliers and a Toyota motor plant in China have been hit by planned power outages. That's as multiple provinces in southern China are trying to ration electricity to ease pressure on the power grid. In China's southwestern Sichuan province, authorities ordered all factories to close for six days. The move was to make sure there's enough electricity for residential use. But Sichuan is also a critical region for the country's manufacturing. And two Apple suppliers run plants there. One of them, called Foxconn, assembles iPads and Apple Watches. Another makes panels that form the device's light-up screens. Automaker Toyota also has a plant in Sichuan. The factory is suspending its operations until Saturday. In the meantime, China is dealing with its worst heat wave in six decades. Right now, temperatures are surging past 100 degrees Fahrenheit in multiple provinces. The increasing demand for air conditioning is weighing on the power grid. On top of the extreme heat, there's drought. China's famed Yangtze River is feeling the effects, reflected a record low water level because of a lack of rainfall. It's especially unusual because August is normally part of China's flood season. The river stretches from Tibet to Shanghai, reaching about a third of China's population. Trouble is brewing in paradise, or at least on one Chinese resort island. COVID-19 cases are popping up in China's Hainan province. The province is home to Sanya City, a popular seaside vacation spot. But for over a week, the area has been under what the authorities call static management, a policy basically equivalent to lockdown orders. Official data says about 150,000 tourists are affected province-wide, with over half of them in Senya. Stranded tourists have started gathering to protest, demanding that they be allowed to go home. A video posted on Monday showed a large group protesting outside a hotel. During the de facto lockdown, tourists also carried another burden, paying for their mandatory extended stay. That means dealing with high food and hotel prices for much longer than they budgeted for. Some have been pleading with hotel management for help. But instead of finding a solution, some ended up being taken away by police. But a woman in the crowd showed no fear, asking the police, take us all away if you can. What have we done to deserve this? In growing tensions of protests, local authorities signaled on Sunday that tourists may return home with local approvals. According to an anonymous local COVID control worker, tourists need to apply with required documents and test results for a permit to leave and pay for the return trip out of their own pockets.
A Chinese National Health Committee officer said the situation in the province is severe and complex. Adding that over 10,000 medical staff from almost 20 provinces have been sent to Hainan to aid the pandemic control. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping has held firm to China's zero COVID-19 policy. It's a zero-tolerance strategy that mandates mass testing and lockdown orders to immediately halt the spread of infection. But the policy has led to social and economic consequences. Next, we'd like to take a moment to answer a question from our audience. Last week, we covered how 400 million Chinese people have quit the Chinese Communist Party and its affiliated organizations. Some viewers asked for more details. In China, many citizens, at least in one point in their lives, joined the Chinese Communist Party or its organizations, such as the Communist Youth League and the Young Pioneers. When joining, they make an oath not to the nation, but to the Communist Party. Quitting the CCP refers to separation from the party by renouncing the oaths made to the regime, and it can be done in several ways. Anyone looking to quit can do so at toidang.org. Volunteers at local service centers around the world can also help submit names and the organizations joined to quit the CCP database. Most people who quit use a pseudonym to protect their identity and to keep themselves and their families in China safe. The movement to quit the Communist Party began 18 years ago. Since then, more than 400 million Chinese people have since walked away from the party and its affiliated organizations. Coming up, authorities are calling San Diego the fentanyl epicenter as they fight to stop the drug from flowing into the country. But where is it coming from? And a woman in Southern California is calling for her husband's release. He's a human rights lawyer in China who vanished in the country five years ago. Find out more on what's happening in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. When it comes to trafficking drugs into the United States, authorities are calling San Diego the fentanyl epicenter. But experts reveal most of the materials to make the drug are coming from the other side of the globe, Wuhan, China. Here's more. According to the Department of Justice, border officials seized more deadly fentanyl in San Diego than any of the other 300-plus ports of entry. A decade ago, we didn't even know about fentanyl. And now it's so pervasive that in June of this year, San Diego County declared fentanyl a public health emergency. The Southern District of California, which is home to six international border crossings, has become the epicenter for fentanyl trafficking in the United States. Between October last year and June this year, Border officials seized over 5,000 pounds of fentanyl in San Diego and Imperial counties. That's 60% of the 8,400 pounds seized across the entire country. The U.S. Attorney's Office and our law enforcement partners are fully committed to reversing this death spiral and shutting down the fentanyl distribution pipeline into our nation. That means prosecuting criminals responsible for this crisis. Our fentanyl-related prosecutions are up overall by 1,600 percent since 2017, and we'll continue to make these cases a top enforcement priority. 
Recently, these criminal organizations are manufacturing larger quantities. In a six-day period from July 13th to 18th, Border Patrol seized over 600 pounds of fentanyl in Campo and Calexico. We have found packages of narcotics in roofs, floorboards, door panels, bumpers, tires, gas tanks, car batteries, seats, speaker boxes, you name it. The drug is also smuggled in by hiding it on or inside a person's body. According to the San Diego County Medical Examiner's Office, fentanyl-related overdose deaths have increased over 2,000 percent in San Diego County, from 33 in 2016 to at least 800 in 2021. Fentanyl is an extremely dangerous narcotic that kills indiscriminately. It's not the type of drug you experiment with, and it's only a matter of time before drug users consume a fatal dose. This deadly drug does not discriminate, nor do the criminal organizations who smuggled this dangerous drug across our borders. These organizations have no regard for the lives taken and the violence created by their illegal enterprise. HSI is committed to preventing this dangerous drug from entering our communities, destroying lives, and devastating families. The FBI's mission is to protect the American people, and we'll apply the full force of the FBI to investigate and stop fentanyl trafficking. We're dedicated to eliminating this threat and will devote all necessary resources and personnel to ensure justice is served and our communities are safe. China is one of the largest exporters of fentanyl. It's then pressed into pills, made into powder, or mixed into other drugs at industrial-scale labs. Mexican cartels then distribute them to the U.S. The fentanyl manufacturing capital of the world is Chinese city Wuhan. Last year, the U.S. filed federal charges against Chinese citizen Chuan Fab Yip and offered a reward of up to $5 million for information leading to his arrest. Yip was accused of involvement in a fentanyl precursor chemical distribution scheme, and his company is based in Wuhan. A woman in Southern California marked a tragic anniversary over the weekend. Her husband, a human rights lawyer in China, has been missing for the past five years and is believed to be imprisoned by the Chinese regime. Now, the woman is once again calling for his release. And it is Jackie Rios has more. Saturday marked the fifth year since Gao Shishen, a respected human rights lawyer, disappeared in China. He represented faith groups that have been victims of the Chinese Communist Party's or CCP's persecution. For representing House Christians and Falun Gong practitioners, Gao has been detained and tortured on and off since 2006. His wife, Gong Ha, mentioned how Gao would take pro bono cases and dare to take cases that CCP didn't want lawyers to take. I feel he's a very responsible person. At home, he was a good husband and a good father. So his sense of responsibility carried over to his work. So being a lawyer, he worked especially hard on his job. He worked as his responsibility and his mission. So when he wasn't struggling for an income, he'd have one-third of his cases as pro bono. So this really touched me too. He really used his talents to provide help to people who needed it, including free help. Even for Falun Gong or Christians, the CCP didn't allow him to take the cases, but he took them anyway. He used his kind heart and his profession to do that work. Gong explained how she has lost family members due to the CCP's harassment. 
More tragic thing is during these five years, the CCP continuously harassed Gao's older sister. Since she was always concerned for her little brother's well-being, whether he was dead or alive, she fell into depression. Finally, in May 2020, she drowned herself in a river. The local police wouldn't let my brother-in-law leave the area for fear he'd look for Gao. They took away his ID, forced him to sign documents at the station, and wouldn't let him leave. My brother-in-law was ill at that time. He needed to get medicine and see a doctor, but they always made things difficult for him. He eventually jumped off a building to his death. To commemorate the five-year anniversary, Gong and supporters of Gao gathered in front of the Chinese consulate in Los Angeles to call for his release. I come here to support. I try to, uh, together to, with other people, we hope that Mr. Gorgian can be released and get his freedom. And he also can he, uh, continue to fight for the people in China for their human rights. And we are here on behalf of Amnesty International because Gao Jusheng is a, a prisoner of conscience visited by Amnesty International. And our group 22 have been working on this case since 2010. So every month we write letters to Gao Jisheng to call for his release. And we hope to do more for him uh, to raise public awareness. We believe that Mr. Gao Jisheng should not be brought Felipe Alexander, a human rights lawyer who attended the rally, mentioned the difference between the rule of law for lawyers in China and the United States. Because here I can take any cause I want. Uh, often I even sue the American government on behalf of my clients if I feel that they've been egregious or they haven't been appropriate towards my clients. Uh, that is unthinkable in China. And so you have people like Mr. Gao who are brave enough to go against the establishment, who are brave enough to take on sensitive cases, and they're simply unable to do so. Gong last heard from her husband on August 13, 2017. She says she follows his model of being an upright citizen and helping others. Jackie Rios, NTD News, Los Angeles. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow. Presenting the heritage of traditional Chinese martial arts, promoting martial ethics, and reviving the true tradition. The 2022 NTD International Traditional Chinese Martial Arts Competition Preliminaries will be held in New York and Taiwan. On August 28th, the finals will be broadcast live online worldwide. Registration hotline 188-477-9228. For more information, please visit martialarts.ntdtv.com.